Hello and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is August the 30th, 2022. My name is Frank and his name is Alex. Dude, guess what I did? What? Probably just because like I hate myself oh. um, or I just have like uh, deep rooted insecurities that I need to work out, but I signed up for another marathon. No, you did not. I did. Oh man. But not just any marathon, the Honolulu 26 point tour. Look at you, man. Yeah, we're going out to Hawaii in December. Oh, nice, dude. Just you and Jack? You're going out with more? Oh, the baby as well, yes. Well, of course, man. Uh, Yeah, he'll be like three months then, so. Oh, that's sweet, dude. Team daddy. That'll probably be easier than San Diego, right? Because San Diego is pretty hilly for for a marathon, right? Yeah, San Diego. San Diego is incredibly hilly. This, I think, is I think is mostly flat because it goes all along the ocean. So oh. there might be some elevation, but I don't think it's nearly anything close to what San Diego was. Nice, dude. That'll be sweet. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I've never been to Hawaii. So first time I'm gonna land in Hawaii, and then within 24 hours of being in Honolulu, I'll be mm-hmm. running a marathon. That's probably the way to do it, though, because then the rest of the vacation, I'm sure you're gonna be there for a little a while longer. Like yep. you can enjoy it. It's not yep. like looming you know yeah we're doing it like saturday to wednesday for that reason because it would have been like thursday to monday or tuesday and it's like you don't want to like sand you don't want to sandwich a vacation with a marathon right right damn dude that's sick i thought you swore you would never do another one after this i think i said i was done but uh (laughs) i I think i I found a second wind and yeah uh yeah i'm ready man that's awesome dude i've done it uh i bring that up uh not only to uh, not so subtly prove to you all that i'm better than you (laughs) <laughs> but i found out uh, today is the 118th anniversary of the 1904 olympic marathon which featured purposeful dehydration rat poison rotten apples wild dogs and much more i'll bring you through it here right now this is in st louis missouri mm-hmm. winner fred Lorse crossed the finish line first and took a photo with alice roosevelt before people realized he'd hitchhike from mile nine until the car broke down at mile 18 so before they disqualified him as the winner, the rightful winner, a Mr. Thomas Hicks, received several mid-race doses of rat poison strychnine, 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 mixed with brandy and an egg white. And he continued to battle onwards, hallucinating. And while his team carried him over the finish line, he shuffled his feet as if still running. So picture a grown man being held and running in the air as he crosses the finish line hmm. after taking rat poison with brandy. William Garcia was found lying in the road uh, along the marathon course with severe internal injuries caused by breathing the clouds of dust kicked up by race officials' cars. He nearly died. Cuban postman, these are the people that used to participate in the Olympics. Cuban <laughs> postman, Adarine Carbajal, joined after losing all of his money gambling in New Orleans, hitchhiked to St. Louis, and in street clothes uh, that he cut to make his legs look like shorts, uh, he ran the marathon, and he hadn't eaten in 40 hours. He stole two peaches from a spectator, <laughs> and then he went to an a apple orchard and started eating the apples, and they were rotten, uh, so he took a nap on the course to deal with his stomach cramps, and he finished fourth. Two South African entrants were in town for the 1904 World's Fair, and they were chased nearly a half mile off the course by wild dogs. They finished ninth and 12th, respectively. The organizer decided to allow only one water station along the 24.85 mile course of the marathon, even though it was conducted in 90 degree heat. (laughs) Unpaved roads choked with dust. His ostensible reason was to conduct research on purposeful dehydration. (laughs) Dude, that honestly sounds, I don't know why when you were talking through that though, but it honestly reminded me 
or sounds like a White Lotus episode. Do you remember that show? I do remember White Lotus. I don't remember them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, All the crazy shit going on at the same time and people, it just made me think it's like, it sounded like chaos. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, for sure. Chaos. Uh, so the winning time was three hours and 28 minutes, which is still an impressive uh, marathon. Oh, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Shit. So there you have it. The 1904 marathon. Well, congrats, man. So when are you going to start training? That's December. No, now. Right now. So you're flying with a baby. He'll be pretty young. Yeah, he'll be like less than three months old. Yeah, okay. Probably, depending, unless he comes tomorrow. Which he might, dude. I have those thoughts all the time. He could, yeah, dude. It could happen. Our buddy Pat, man, they're like three three weeks out almost. And they're close, huh? It could come anytime, you know, and be perfectly healthy. But yeah, it's just it gets down to that. I, I don't want to say crunch time, but it's just that time where it's like, oh shit, it's about to happen. Like this shit's real, <laughs> dude. Yeah, for sure. And it's wild how many people have like picked up on it who we don't interact with every day. Like they'll just like reach out and be like, oh, you guys are so close. Okay. Yeah, I didn't need another reminder. Thank you. <laughs> I know, dude. It does set in. It's it's been. It's, I've been having some like crazy thoughts. I was yeah, building yeah. his crib the other day. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I saw Jacqueline post up something about like needing a nanny eventually too. So. Oh yeah, we're working on that. We're working on getting ourselves a uh, a nice uh, bilingual. No. A bilingual baby. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, it's cool times. It it feels good to be alive right now. I'm excited for all sorts of things. Hell yeah, dude. That's what's up, man. And I, you have to finish the marathon or your son's going to think you're a bitch. So yeah. And he still might. So <laughs> it's a long road ahead. <laughs> oh, fantasy football is about to start. I'm excited about that. Yeah, dude. I know me too. I have two drafts on Thursday and then another draft on Friday. Okay. Yeah. I've, yeah. I'm in three leagues myself this year, one on Thursday, and then I have Tuesday, Wednesday next week. So yeah, I was uh, forming yet another uh, fantasy football group chat today. And I was like, I think this is just what being a fucking 30 year old is just starting <laughs> new fantasy football group jokes. Hey, do you guys want to join a league? It's $50. <laughs> it is the, one of the most annoying times of the year in that everyone's texting like, Oh, I can't make that draft date. Oh, I can't do that. Like, it's like, it's picking a day that works in that many people's schedule, even though it's only like an hour to hour and a half. It's surprisingly hard to find a time that always works for people. I feel like at least in one of my drafts every single year. It's like just a fucking hassle of like oh, yeah. group text fuckery. And it's just, you're, you know, 40 text messages before you even get anything close to something. And then one person's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Like, Fuck. Dude, yeah, it's a spectacle. Uh, somebody should do a like documentary on just a bunch of dudes trying to organize themselves. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's actually uh, not very charitable because I am in a league with uh, plenty of women who win. Yeah, who that's, win? That's impressive. Good, yeah. But I do like fantasy football. It's a good time. It makes it interesting uh, now that there's a, uh, a hollowness to my uh, NFL fandom. The podcast host in me wants to ask you for fantasy tips and blah 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 blah. But oh, I have none. Fellow competitor in your league doesn't want to share my tips and tricks with you. No, ask away. I, I'll give you some bullshit. I don't know, dude. I haven't kept up with with almost anything. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. I saw all these names yesterday. Uh, I did a, like a, a a draft in like a, a whatever league yesterday, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, dude, I saw these names. I was like, oh, I'm way out of the loop. Yeah, cause it's always like that shock when you come back to look at it again, and it's like a quarter of the league or whatever has been traded. You know, like or move down the draft the draft board from like two or three years ago when they were like really high up. Yeah, right. And you see, I'm like, oh yeah, you're getting old. You 29-year-old. What do you do with like a Tyreek Hill? A I fucking... Him. I don't want him. One of the best, if not the best receiver in the entire league, but he's on the Dolphins now? Like, what do you... What do You You know he's got the talent, but 
the fucking dude throwing the ball can barely put it on the money. It's like, so you just got to like, it, it's funny with, with, with football, with fantasy football and stuff. Like there's a lot that really goes into making a good team. Like there's a shit ton of luck, but like there actually is a lot that goes into that whole process to where it's not just like a blind bet of whatever gambling, whatever you're doing where like you kind of know your odds or whatever at a casino, but like, in, in football, like you, you're gambling a little bit, but like you can make in sports betting in general, you can kind of make calculated moves and, and, and like kind of gamble. But it's a game that rewards inconsistency, so you're never going to be able to time anything correctly. It's yeah. it's on, dude. It's honestly just most like it's mostly luck. But <laughs> like you can put yourself in a good position just by being competitive and like keeping up and like working the waiver wire. Like if you wanted to compete in fantasy football, it wouldn't be hard to like make the playoffs every year if you were up to it because you got to think in like most leagues there's like three people who like if they through eight weeks just have a shitty record they're gonna make it whatever i don't care about this Mm -hmm. and stop and stop playing it and and just kind of fall off so you could you could make it happen i think yeah but it is a big time suck (laughs) it is man huge man yeah way too much actually taking away from work and studies or whatever speaking of studies Mm -hmm. this bill maher starting his show last week. I know why you're happy tonight, because your bullshit liberal arts degrees are getting paid off. Isn't that great? Yes. President Biden made it official. He's going to pay off for giving over $300 billion in college debt. And uh, today he was voted the sexiest man alive on SugarDaddy's.com. <laughs> no, the, kid, the kids were, they were giving up on him. Now they love him. I was, I was on Melrose Boulevard today. Oh, my God. Everybody's wearing aviator glasses, and they're all getting no malarkey tattoos. It's amazing. <laughs> Kids. Comedic stylings of Bill Maher. <laughs> Does that affect you, the student loan cancellation? No, it doesn't. I am one of the Americans that have paid off their student loans and do yeah, good for you. get to reap the benefits of this particular decision, which is a little upsetting. Yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is. I, I, you know, I don't really necessarily have a problem with like people getting their, their loans paid for, you know, that uh, I guess the, I guess I don't have a problem with the sentiment behind that, but here's the issue that I have, like the big, big issue. And I guess this is like the issue I have with anything that the government ends up doing. It's just a little, it's just a little fucking coupon. Did you hear, uh, Tim Dillon on Joe Rogan? Mm-mm. recently and he went in this big rant he's talking about in the future it's just going to be like goodies it's just going to be like the government giving you goodies and it's a perfect example of that mm. it's just a little goodie here you go here have this piece of chocolate what isn't addressed at all is that these government loans are guaranteed so there's nothing stopping this big giant freight train of student loan debt that we know is hurtling down this hill we know this is happening because the government guarantees student loans so the student loan providers will give them to everyone and anyone who has a pulse. So we're not addressing that issue. We're just saying, oh yeah, this is an issue. We're going to help you pay for it. Okay, cool, fine. It, it will affect me. It'll affect Jacqueline. You know, we'll, we'll get some stuff paid off. That's awesome. But what about the next generation of students going to school? Are we just going to like hope that they get the message that college is a scam and college... Uh, attendance goes down so people stop taking on debt. I mean, to me, that seems to be the only solution because if we're right. not going to stop guaranteeing these terrible, terrible loans, then then what the fuck? Because at the end of the day, even though you're 18 and, and you're an adolescent and you don't have the capacity or the wherewithal to understand the decision that you're making for the rest of your life or your future, it's still, it's still a decision that's being made. And it's still you're signing on the dotted line. And it's still something that we, you know, anybody who took student loan out, that's what they did. So uh, it's frustrating to see action taking to just 
kind of massage the issue and not like really get out the the, the root out the the center of it. It's it's, right. it's it's a little frustrating. Yeah, it is. And then like from my standpoint, it's frustrating because it's like I didn't have an incredible amount of of student debt, but like I did have debt and I paid it. I made a you know a priority as soon as I kind of graduated to right pay that shit off and then it's almost like well if i would have just fucking i mean not that i could have known in hindsight but it's it's like if i would have just let it go maybe i'd I'd be i'd be 10 grand richer right now and it just it sucks like i guess there always are going to be people that are going to be offended in any kind of situation like this like feel like they got slighted but i would feel like an asshole if i like just paid off my debts and then you know then they pass this it's like what the fuck um so that that sucks but it it is good like it's gonna help a lot of friends of mine a lot of family of mine sure i think on on the whole it is it is good but i agree what you're saying where they're kind of you know maybe missing the mark on on the bigger problem or whatnot but sure uh, man i mean i think selfishly you definitely have a gripe but I, you know, my heart goes out to the, to the next generation of kids that get looped into this, you know, uh, the scam it's cause that's what it is, man. It's n- it's nothing short of a scam. College is a scam. If you're not going to college to be an attorney, to be a doctor or to be an engineer or an accountant, then you don't need to go to college. And even the accountant, you can learn that doctor, attorney, engineer, boom. Those are the only three where it really makes sense. And then even then, if you don't have money to pay for that, you probably should go do something else first. Yeah. And that, that's not the message is there's like, there's no, like, there's no, uh, like message of frugality. There's no message of, of like, uh, maybe taking a year or two and sorting some stuff out before you go straight to a four year and fuck around and put yourself into a ton of debt. That's what I hope the message would be. You know, this is the U S open week in tennis. It is dude. And it is the last the big week. Uh, week for that. We will ever see Serena Williams play professional tennis. So it's it is, it is. And, uh, while this will be an iconic U S open for Serena Williams, certainly won't be the most iconic U S open for Serena Williams. Um, she has a sordid history in the U S open, bro. Yeah. What do you uh, mean? Do you remember in 2009 when she was playing then unranked Kim Kleister's? Mm, I don't know. Okay, so she's playing uh, Kim Kleischer's. It's the semifinals of the U.S. Open. It's obviously very contentious. There's a lot, lot going on. She loses the first set and slams the shit out of her racket. Just completely wrecks it, and the umpire gives her a code violation. So it's in the second set, and it's I think it's like break point. And if she loses this point, she like she goes down uh, two games uh, in the second set. And so like everything's riding on this. Mm-hmm. And the line judge calls uh, a foot violation, and she fucking loses it. First of all, terrible call, right? Like doesn't need to be made. Wasn't a violation at all. But she absolutely loses it, and she turns to the she turns to the ju- the line judge and she says if i could i'd shove this ball down your throat and kill you <laughs> she said to her. Yeah. the heart of a champion so then the yeah yeah you ain't lying <laughs> and and so then the umpire calls the line judge up and asks her what she said and then she gives serena another uh a violation for verbal abuse mm. and then it, it disqualifies her from the u.s open she's had problems before man she played naomi osaka Naomi Osaka, and I think it was the finals of the U.S. Open. Finals, U.S. Open 2012. Yeah. 13, something like that. she went the fuck off at the line judge. Well, do you remember what happened? So she actually got this rule changed in tennis. She got in trouble for being coached uh, by her box, which is like, for some fucking reason, frowned on in tennis. You can't be coached, which I makes think that's no really sense weird because in any other sport you can be coached. You are like, right. There's a coach on every team. So your, your coach can sit in the box next to the fucking court but can't technically do anything make any motions do anything towards you and they said that her box was getting too worked up and that there was some kind of talking going on 
that rule has since been changed. I think honestly because of the the situation that happened. But right. um, I always remember Naomi Osaka was like, "There's a documentary about her life, which is actually really depressing." But she was telling about the, the how when this happened, and she's like, "I I'm, I won, and like it was like my first major. I like don't know even what to do because I'm so young, but like I'm on the inside, I like feel like shit because yeah. my idol." is like basically bitching that I won on like default, basically, you know, even though Naomi went on to beat her, you know, like throughout the whole match anyway. But like at that point, her, you know, Serena's mental was cracked. Yeah, I guess, I guess they gave Serena a thumbs up or whatever. And they, and they, the umpire said that they were coaching. So gave her a violation. Mm -hmm. And Serena, when that happened, was like really polite and was like, look, I, I, I can understand what you thought you saw, but I'm not a cheater. Like, I'd rather, like, die than cheat. Like, I'd rather, like, lose than cheat. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then later, I think it was, she, like, smacked her racket again on the on the court, and that was the second violation. And so yeah, they deducted her right. a point. And so she just, like, lost her shit. She was like, you owe me an apology. I'm not a cheater. I have a daughter, you know, like, this, that, and the other. And she got all worked up about it, that he was calling her a cheater. And I don't know, man. <sighs> That like those little things to me, I hate that they be like when when people who aren't playing the game interject themselves into the game. And I think this umpire had like the the right intentions or like wasn't, but he like saw it and he was like, okay, I need to call this. But it, dude, it's the final in the U.S. Open. Like, let him play. Don't mm -hmm. don't make yourself a part of this match. Like that line judge did. She made a part herself a part of that match. Right. You know, if you're if you question it at all, then just err on the side of you know fair play. I think um, another storyline in in the U.S. Open is uh, is Novak Djokovic, and this I wanted to play this for you. This is White House correspondent Peter Ducey questioning about the COVID policies of the United States as it pertains to the U.S. Open and Novak Djokovic not being able to play. How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated, but world class tennis players are not? Are you you're talking about which world class tennis player? Novak Djokovic. So as far, you know, just to just since you asked about me about him, yes, me about him. So visa records are confidential under U.S. law. Uh, therefore, the U.S. government cannot uh, discuss the details of individual visa cases uh, due to privacy reasons. The U.S. government also does not comment on medical information of individual travelers as it relates to uh, the tennis, uh, the tennis play, uh, player. Look, uh, those the questions regarding vaccination requirements is 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 I defer you to CDC. This is a CDC uh, requirement for foreign nationals. Uh, this is something that they decide. Uh, this is uh, so. This is something that is up to them. The U.S. Open and their participant protocols. I refer you to them. They have their own specific protocols as well. But so they're two different things. They're two different things. But so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Yeah. Like we actually no. Well, I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what ha what is happening. But that's not. It's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not. That's, that's not exactly how. Exactly what's happening. We well, thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. Got her, bro. She was flustered. Yeah, flustered for sure. Well, Damn. so if if you don't know, Novak Djokovic is not playing in the U.S. Open because he's unvaccinated, and he's not a United States citizen, and the United States will not allow foreign nationals to fly into the United States without proving that they've been vaccinated. 
And so the questioning, the line of questioning here was, we don't, we're not shoring up our, our Southern border enough to where we can, we can measure the amount of uh, immigrants that are crossing our border that are, that are, un, that are vaccinated or unvaccinated. But yet we have a world-class tennis player who we're saying can't come into the United States because he's not vaccinated. And there seems to be a big era of hypocrisy there. There's a giant gap of what uh, of how we actually really feel or how we really want to police COVID policy. And it seems to be unfairly burdened on perhaps the, the most physically fit athlete, top 10, 15, 20 in the world. The best tennis player in the world. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No question. Right. right. And best. like it, in, in, in terms of like physical fitness of professional athletes, I think tennis players are probably top five, top yeah. eight. If I'm, yeah. if I'm being super, super generous, I mean, it's just super incredibly physically fit athletes. Personally, I think it's horseshit. I hate that he feels like he has to hang his hat on this. And now that he's like dug in so much, like he's not going to give in. How much it affects his career, I think is irrelevant. Like you said, he's the best tennis player in the world, probably the best to ever do it. Time will tell. But I just think it's horseshit that we're so strict and we can make such an example out of somebody like Novak Djokovic of all people. Yeah, it's, it's really, really strange, man. And when they're at these tournaments, like, so Djokovic was able, the only one he's been able to participate in all year was Wimbledon, which he won. <laughs> Hilarious. I love it. Yeah. And so you know who else won from the women's? Mm. A Russian. Ah, really? Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. Fucking, well, no, yeah. they were trying to, they were trying to exclude Russians from, from playing yeah. in Wimbledon. This is mm -hmm. terrible, terrible policy. So, but while he was there, he said like he was with his camp on lockdown the entire time, like taking it seriously. He's just like, I don't want to be told Similar to Aaron, like to a lot of these people, Aaron Rodgers, Kyrie mm -hmm. Irving, like, I don't want to be told what to, by you, you know, what to put into my body. Like, that, that's his right, like, in, in this country, like, it should be. So it's like, be forced to do that to just do your job. Like, Joe, Novak's like at a point where he's like, fuck you. I don't need that. Like, that's fine. I'll lose a couple majors. That's fine. You can take those yeah. off my record. I'm still tied for, for number one of all time, and I'm sitting out like the last three or four of them. So fuck you. Like, right. I'll just play Wimbledon for the next three years. Make it happen. Yeah, right. Man, it's crazy. Yeah. We played that clip of Djokovic when he was talking about, you know, Oh yeah, that's right. Bodily autonomy. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want you to tell me what I can do with my body. And I don't believe that you have the right to do that. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to uh, Aaron Rodgers. He was on Joe Rogan. Uh, props to Joe Rogan, man. He just went back to back with Mark Zuckerberg and Aaron Rodgers. What a, what a, what a one, two punch there. Yeah. For um, real. But but one of the things that 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 stood out to me about Aaron Rodgers, he was talking about kind of his his uh, adventures last year being unvaccinated, and he said that there was like this stigma about him that he was putting his teammates and like the general public in danger. And he said, you, he said, you know, you, you don't know, but if you're an unvaccinated player in the NFL, you have to test every day. So he goes, if you saw me at a grocery store on a random Thursday, I tested negative that day. I was negative. Mm -hmm. It's like, I was as safe as anybody walking the streets because you knew my status every day. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, why do we need to know Aaron Rodgers' fucking COVID status every day? <laughs> you know, I don't know, yeah. dude, it's so bizarre. And then he said, oh, dude, this is the best part. Because you know it, you know the NFL is, is like this. But when you hear these stories, it's just like, ah, oh, oh, it's so good. He said that uh, the testing the testing protocols changed immediately when the playoffs started. Oh, really? Immediately, yeah. Because they don't want to have people missing. They, nope, yeah. nope. Can't have Aaron Rodgers sitting out the yeah. NFC Championship. No way. Only test if you're symptomatic. That was the, that was the, uh, the guidance. As it, soon as the playoffs started. Oh, wow. uh, fuck you, Raj. I saw Rogan. Shit. I haven't actually watched that episode yet or listened to it, but Rogan kind of came out and straight up said vote Republican on there, which is like he always has kind of played, you know, to the middle or, you know, 
he's more conservative for sure, like you, you, with a lot of things he said, but he's never come out like and said that, you know, where, where he really took a side mm-hmm. in what with what they were talking about at the moment, at least. And uh, no, he's been he's, he's been notoriously neutral. Mm hmm. And, uh, but yeah, but in, like in the context of what he was saying, cause they were talking about the pro, like they were just talking about like general problems and they were basically like at the end, they were like, what are you going to do? Like, what can you do? What can you, mm-hmm. what, what can you tell people to do? Joe was like, vote Republican. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I mean, they, whatever it's, uh, they're just on, they're talking. I, I take almost no cues from what Joe Rogan says. And, and even if, even if people were to be swayed to vote Republican because Joe Rogan said so, it's not going to make much of a difference, man. Really is not. Vote Republican, mm. you're just going to be pissed off because they're not doing the things that we want them to do. And it's all very cyclical. Yeah. I uh, Just real quick before we move off U.S. Open, I, I do want to say tomorrow, if because I'm following, I'm, I'm a big tennis fan. I, I love Serena Williams. I think she's amazing. And honestly, like one of the best athletes of all time. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for her. I don't think it's realistic that she could win this tournament. But the next round, this and I, th- I think her match is like tomorrow evening. I think it's like 6 o'clock here in Chicago. She plays the number two seeded woman in the entire tournament. I saw so that. Not looking good, but if she can beat her, <laughs> she if she could beat her. And, and dude, I'm telling you, I was watching the match yesterday. She played, uh, it's like Danka Kovinovich, Koninovich. I, I don't know how you say her last name, but mm-hmm. it was something very Eastern European or something. But it was insane to like listen to the crowd on every and during every single point every single game like, really they were going crazy for serena like i feel bad for her competition in this tournament because no one is rooting for them like good she's in america yeah yeah fuck yeah good it's it's awesome so if, if serena can kind of feed off that she won yesterday uh i think it was six three six three i'm pretty sure yeah it was back to back if she can beat this annette cotaviet lady that's the second seed she doesn't face another high seed i think until like the quarters of the semis so like serena could go on a little run or a little run here bro it's it's very possible so tune in for that man go go america go serena damn that's awesome yeah uh i'd love to see some crazy stuff happen that's just like any player yeah i think that's why uh you know tiger woods still gets so much run run when he plays I was just going to say, imagine how emotional you're going to feel, we're going to feel when we watch Tiger like play his last announced like Augusta. Yeah, like if we know it's his last and yeah, yeah. you're fucking tuned uh, in, yeah, you're dude. cheering, at, like we're going to be going crazy. We might have to watch that entire tournament together, Frank. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> dude, I, I got to tell you, man. So like like you were, you're, you're saying you're a, a tennis nut, bro. Ever since probably like 20, whenever his like first comeback was, because he wasn't playing golf between like 2013 and like 2016. Was it 17? 16? Okay. Yeah. 16, 17, something like that. He got like a year on and then like his back was hurting and there was all this doubt about it. Every single round he's played since that time, I've watched or paid attention to. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had a Twitter account called uh, Tiger Tracker. And I had alerts on it. So every time this person tweeted, I would get an alert about what Tiger Woods did. And he tweeted every single shot from the right. Like that was, I was glued in because you just never know if it's going to happen again. It's like, like Tom Brady. I don't want Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl. I don't really care. But if he's in the Super Bowl, I want him to win. While greatness is here, let him be great. Also a Michigan man. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Go blue. It is. It's You want to witness greatness and it, you want that taste of greatness again, too. You know what I mean? Because it's like Tiger's not playing like he was in the early 2000s or whatever, but it's like right. you see flashes. In 2018, we saw flashes when he won the Masters. And that was like one of the best feelings I can remember, like in recent sports history, like watching an event and just like, I'm not sitting there crying, but like, I'm like truly happy and emotional as if I was watching like the Lions and the Super Bowl type shit, bro. Right. Right. No, you know? exactly. 
hundred percent. I don't think we're going to see it again, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done. He's done. Unfortunately, I wanted to play one clip for you and get your opinion on this. Play me. So this is uh, in Texas, and there's some controversies coming out of a school district in North Texas over some signage. Well, a parent in North Texas tested the In God We Trust sign law for Texas schools. As we've reported, the state passed a law making mandatory signs of the nation's motto at schools if those signs are privately donated. A Christian conservative cell phone provider donated signs to Carroll ISD in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And last night, a patient... A parent attempted to donate In God We Trust signs written in Arabic and decorated with rainbow colors. The school board president informed him that schools already have enough posters, but that parent wasn't buying the explanation. It doesn't say you have to stop at one, so it, that is your decision to stop at one, right? Why, why is more God not good? And are you saying you don't have like one square feet of space in our buildings? Well, he was right that state law does not mention a limit on donated signs. Carol ISD refused to comment. These signs are up at schools in Tomball and Cypher ISD as well. So what do you think about that? That's horseshit. In which way? You know, you know, you know what I think about that, Al? Mm-hmm. It's America, and we speak English. <laughs> That's what I think about it. You like this country so damn much, you learn the language. If you don't like it, you can get out. You can get out. No, I, I, I saw that video. I'm like, well, that's a lot of conflicting principles in the world of Frank Huerta, I'll as, say, as I know. So I was like, I need to show him this video. No, no, no there's no conflicting principles there at all. I, I, no. I'm, I'm 100% on the side of the uh, the parent out there saying, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, you want You want one God or you want, call it out if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's what you want. You're just being passive about it. That's worship. Yeah. I don't like how the uh, American flag was upside down. I thought that was a little weird. That Did is you notice a little that? weird. Yeah, because the only the law, I, I think he was just trying to like push the boundaries of mm. what the law says, because all the law says that the flag has to be on it, mm. not anything else. So I think what he's trying to do is be like, all right, fuck you, flags on it. It's rainbow for, you know, gay people and it's in Arabic for Muslim people. Like, it, I think he's just really trying to like push the limits. But I, at the same time, I don't, yeah, I th I'm on the side of him where it's, it's like kind of just seems like you're aiming this. At, at you know at one god in a in a public school that's what i the law is weird to me so if it these are for public schools and if it is privately donated it has to be put up that is so strange in a public school like i, I don't I don't see anywhere else other than Texas where that would fly, like yeah, in public. Yeah, schools, I mean that's like man. obviously a workaround, and yeah. uh, I get what this guy's doing. If uh, I think it would be it would be better if it was a little like a little bit if it was in good faith, mm -hmm. you know, like 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 hey, and God we trust. It's here, it's here in Arabic. We have the American flag. We want to do the same thing. We just want our representation. I think he was trying to like push push the point, prove the point, and whatever. I mean, do your thing. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on his side for sure. Put it yeah. up. Put it up. It was probably, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to kind of keep my eyes peeled for that and see if anything else develops. But uh, kind of an interesting situation. The, I always like pointing out the hypocrisy of a law or like pointing out the flaws in a law. I think that's good. I, mean, yeah. I think that's a, a like a moreover, like a, a positive thing that we can yeah. exercise here in this country. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, what he said, if he said something about like, is it too much God or something? Like yeah. That? Yeah. Is it too much God? And you can only say one. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I love it. I love it oh, more of yeah. that. But what do you got for me today, my man? We're not one to uh, shy away from talking about uh, controversial things. This mm. is uh, it couldn't be further from controversial. It's climate change. Mm. Recently, we were together and we were talking about the particular weather of the day in San Diego. We made note that it was muggy. And I, I, I told you, I, I don't remember it being muggy as a kid. Mm -hmm. To me, being muggy in uh, San Diego is a uh, relatively uh, new phenomenon. And uh, maybe in jest and maybe not. 
you said climate change. And I said, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. And somebody uh, very near and dear to you and I, who, who remain nameless, said, yo, you don't believe in climate change, which is not a conversation you want to get into when you're standing in line ordering food. <laughs> so so I, I deflected 100%. Uh, but it's a loaded question to me. It's a loaded question. Do you believe in climate change? Because to me, that you're asking one of two questions. Do you believe that the climate is changing? Or do you believe that the climate is changing in a way that will spell impending doom for all citizens if we don't act and act immediately? I feel like those are the two questions being asked. Or are you a racist? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a whole other show. It, yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange how politicized this particular topic has become and really yeah. like ran away from what that actual thing is. I would agree. I would agree. I don't bring it up for no reason. I came across a climate declaration from this organization called Clintel, C-L-I-N-T-E-L. And the declaration signed by some 1,100 scientists over uh, across 25 countries in the United States, the declaration is that there is no climate emergency. And they start this off by saying that climate science should be less political, something you just said. While climate policies should be more scientific, in particular, scientists emphasize that their modeling output is not the result of magic. Computer Mm. models are human-made. What comes out is fully dependent on what theoreticians and programmers have put in, including, uh, but not limited to, hypotheses, assumptions, relationships, parameterizations, stability constraints, etc. Unfortunately, in mainstream client science, most of this input is undeclared. To believe the outcome of a climate model is to believe what the model makers have put in. And so the whole argument here is... We recognize what the science is telling us, which is objectively that the climate is changing. Specifically, that there is a higher carbon concentration in our atmosphere uh, than there was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, so on and so forth. It has been a trending upward climb of carbon emissions. The argument here is that what we are doing to model that into the future is flawed. And we have based our entire action onto climate change based on these modelings. And these modelings will spit out to us different predictions, right? We've been over this a little bit before about like the most egregious predictions, but it happens all the time. Uh, Not too long ago, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change, right? Those kind of, those kind of uh, uh, highly charged rhetoric quibbles, those one-liners. Incendiary comments. Thank you. Yes. That get everyone riled up, right? And if you really believe that that is possible, or that is something that that could happen, uh, then you will get emotionally charged about that. Rightfully so, right? Because you're a person maybe has kids or is thinking about having kids and you care about the generation and the generation after that, that come after you and you want to leave this world a better place for them because of course you do. Why wouldn't you? I am going to read uh, a little bit now from a gentleman named Michael Schellenberger, who actually ran for governor of California or is currently running for governor of California. A really interesting fellow, but he wrote this article in Forbes because he's an environmentalist. He believes that uh, we need to do things to curb climate change. And um, he has a problem with the hyperbole of climate change, right? He says, first, no credible scientific body has ever said climate change threatens the collapse of civilization, much less the extinction of the human species. Up top, right there, boom. nobody, Nobody believes that because of what's happening, the extinction of the human race as we know it is going to occur because of carbon emissions or because of climate change or what have you. That's just not a well-received or accepted thought, theory, hypothesis, whatever. But still remains the the highly charged rhetoric 
that we see all the time. He makes a point about the death toll from natural disasters. Uh, this this uh, this climate declaration. Um, one of the first things that they say is that uh, that there's no adequate evidence to suggest that natural disasters are being supercharged or uh, being affected in any measurable way from climate change. This is their this is their declaration, right? This is what they're saying. All these people signed it and. This article makes the point that uh, there's a 99.7% decline in the death toll from natural disasters uh, since its peak from from being recorded in 1931, meaning that we have the technology and the advancements that have gone so far that we are able to mitigate the death toll from natural disasters almost 100%, which is outrageous, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, in 1931, 3.7 million people died from natural disasters. In 2008, only 11,000 did. I'd Damn. say that is a job well done. Mm-hmm. Kudos, bravo to you all. But there still, there remains a, a sort of uh, a fear, right? A sort of impending doom, if you will. Uh, there, there's even research that suggests that children, young children, are suffering psychological effects of the impending doom of, of, of climate change. So we, so we all bring this up. I bring this up. I, I think it's important to bring up because there are ideas out there that would suggest that perhaps the, um, the level of alarmism has been cranked up to 11 and, and that it, it, it's, if your ultimate goal is a cleaner earth and one that has, um, better air for your children to breathe and, and better conditions for everyone to live in, uh, then, then perhaps we dial that down a little bit. So, so we can address the issues forthrightly. Uh, here's physicist Brian Cat talking about uh, the alarmism as it pertains to climate change. <laughs> Are they right to panic? No. Um, they should relax, basically, um, simply because if they were to go and look at the natural history of the Earth, which has all been unraveled since these m- climate myths were created by the UN, they'd find that actually what is happening now is almost totally normal. And the Earth, on the short term, forget ice ages, that's a confusing thing, but for the last 10,000 years, which is a short, warm period within an ice age cycle, it goes up and down about a degree at the equator, two degrees at the poles, about every thousand years. Um, and it's perfectly normal. And the rate of rise now, before people start, obviously people might phone in with this one, the rate of rise is not unusual either. It's about one degree in a century. And it goes up and down while it's, it can go up and down a degree while it's doing that. Yes. And that's a global average over 30 years. It's not the weather. So, <laughs> so we've got on one side, we've got the intergovernmental panel on climate change. We've got thousands of supposed experts. Yep. All stuffing stuff stuff into their models. Why are they wrong? Um, well, because their presumptions that they feed into their models are wrong. And I think we talked <laughs> briefly about this. It's called Geigo, garbage in, garbage out. That's the point. And one of the assumptions they put in is there's no natural change. So if the change that they assign to carbon dioxide is actually natural, there is no additional change to be observed. So it's not actually happening. And there's a very good reason why that could be so. Stop me if you bore you. (laughs) Which is that it's a very small effect, the greenhouse effect. Within the overall parameters of the atmosphere, there are much bigger things at work, like the sun shining on it and the gravity pulling the atmosphere onto the ground, which basically sets what the temperature gradient, all this sort of stuff. But the control is from the oceans, the clouds control. The clouds are the control of Earth's climate stability. In a sense, you think that people are panicking unnecessarily 
and we've been warming now for the last sort of 150 years. So what, he, what he's about to begin to say is that we've been warming for the past about 150 years or so. And the reason for that is because between about 1200 AD and about 1850 AD, there was what was known as the mini ice age, where there was a giant period where there was abnormal cooling. And it, it's, it's marked by different phenomenon throughout those throughout that period of time to where they call it that mini ice age, where there was there was there was cooling in, in the in the world. You saw uh, ice fairs on the River Thames, things that you would never see today. Uh, and so because those sort of events aren't happening, then it leads scientists to believe that and start, starting at about 1850 or so, we begin to climb out of this mini ice age, meaning that the rise of temperature in the world now could absolutely could be because of the rise of CO2 levels in the atmosphere, or it could just be normal cyclical patterns that the earth goes through and that has been going through for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And that's the point that I want to make. It's either or, it could be either or. And, we're, and what, I, what you're not hearing me say is that it, it's a good idea to just pull all of the carbon out from uh, underneath the earth's crust, pump it in, in the form of crude oil, refine it, and then burn that oil and put it out into the atmosphere. You're not hearing me say that. I think it's smart that we make very measured, good decisions about how we emit uh, uh, carbon and other pollutants in the atmosphere, but to take it from from that to the the, the extreme, and to cut all carbon emissions out and to, and, and and to not be uh, relying on any fossil fuel, uh, I think is a, is a fool's errand. Um, that I'll I'll play a video here in a second, but I I feel like you had something to say. Yeah, I got I feel dumb asking this question, but it, is the main concern with global warming is that the amount of CO two that we're outputting with you know with engines and combustible engines and all, and all the different kinds of industry that we're doing now is that that carbon is eating you know into our our ozone and destroying that and that's what's warming us because on the other side of that when I think about CO two it's like that is the basis of food like for all like plants and like you know any kind of like bio thing in this in this world so. Like, why is that bad? Yeah, so you make a great point. CO2, in fact, is plant food. And there is a, a global greening effect that is going on right now because of the rise of CO2 levels, mm -hmm. right? There have never been more trees in the, in the world than there are today. That's one mm -hmm. myth that I'd like to also expel. We're not, there's no uh, uh, worry about um, us losing, you know, forests and whatnot. Now, in, in, in specific locations, will deforestation happen? That probably shouldn't happen, yes. And that's something that you can address. But like globally, we're not killing the planet by taking all the trees. There's never been more trees than there have been here and now, August 30th, 2022. The, the, the worry is that since 1850, there has been a dramatic spike in CO2 mm -hmm. in the atmosphere. Not just like, uh, a rise in CO2, it's been like, here's been the levels and here's where we're at mm -hmm. off the screen, right? So everyone's like, holy shit, that's a lot of CO2. And we've been noticing that since about the 1950s, 1960s, we've been, we've been realizing that we were emitting a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. And then the story goes that because of that, the earth is warming. Is that because the ozone, it's eating at the ozone? And so we're not necessarily, more... we, okay. we, we've mitigated that mostly that, that whole ozone deterioration, getting rid of, uh, uh, chlorofluorocarbons and, and things like that. Okay. The, 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 the worry is that because of so, of the, of so much carbon in the atmosphere that it, it creates what's called the greenhouse effect, which traps like hot air from going out. Uh -huh. And so it, 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 with, with the, uh, 
metric tons of CO2 in the air that we're polluting every day, that that's going to cause heavier air, that's going to cause more pollution, that's going to trap more uh, air in the in the Earth atmosphere, and that's going to warm the planet. So much so that the ice caps are going to melt, and that uh, sea level is going to rise, and that uh, oceanfront property is going to be underwater in 10 years, and all these things that, that are based off of those models. And I think what we've seen through the 20 five or so years of, of real world climate policy is that carbon emissions really don't mitigate uh, or they, they don't have the effect that we think that they have on the earth's temperature, right? Moreover, our reduction of that carbon and anything else that we do to fight combat, to, to quote, fight uh, climate change has a minuscule effect on actual climate data and what the climate is going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to share with you now a video from a man named Bjorn Longberg. He's the president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center. And what he did, he looked at the UN's climate policy initiatives, right? There was like 200 of them. And he was like, ah, you can't just have 200 goals, right? Like that's never going to work. So what we're going to do is we're going to rank order these using cost benefit analysis. In other words, how much money could you spend towards one thing? And of the money that you spend towards that one thing, what is the return you're going to get in terms of how good it is, right? Obviously very subjective, but what they found is that you can address things in the world to make the world a whole lot better, like investing in contraception for the small pockets of the world that don't have them, uh, investing in uh, child hunger in, in areas where it's real bad, and that dollar goes a lot further. And here he is talking about where the, the dollar to climate change goes. But the problem is that if we do sort of things that cost 1% to 2% of GDP right now and for the rest of the century, we basically solve almost no, no part of the global warming problem. We'd probably solve about 1% of it. So basically, by incurring a cost of 1% to 2% of GDP now and every year throughout the rest of the century, you'll have solved almost none of the problem come 2100. So you still have to pay all the same problems that global warming is incurring minus a slight amount. And then you paid 1% to 2% every year. That's the basic idea of why most cost-benefit analyses show that unless you do it very carefully, and only do a little bit of cutting and do it really smartly, it, you're actually incurring higher costs than the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah. So, so what he's saying there is that we can spend about one to 2% of our global GDP towards climate change. Even if we think that there is, uh, you know, like there's like a apocalyptic event to happen at the end of this century due to climate change. So we're going to spend as much money as we can to combat that. Even if we did that, we would only solve about one to two percent of that problem. Meaning we have zero chance to change the, the the Earth's temperature and the Earth's climate. And why is that important? Like you, you might be thinking, like, okay, fine, but uh, I, I still think it's a problem. It's a, it's enough of a problem to where I'm I'm willing to overlook all this and, and say full steam ahead. Well, the United States government just passed a, a bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, a whole other episode of why it's called that and, and, and why it does none of what it says it does. <laughs> but, but we invested $369 billion into climate change. All right. So we're spending all this money and really what we're trying to do in America, at least, and, 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 and the world over when, you, when you're talking about like, like Paris climate uh, accords and things like that, what we're trying to do is cut carbon emissions. We're trying to solve like 1% 
of the one percent of the problem that the earth is that the earth is is now experiencing right it, 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 if i can drive this point home when i when i worked for for air gas we would sell uh, uh welding gases right to to these companies and these companies were always like kind of hitting us on the price of the welding gas it's too expensive it's too expensive okay i can save you 15 percent on this welding gas well that welding gas in your company is only worth about 10% of your expenses. 40% of your expenses are the the raw materials that you need to weld two pieces of metal together. I can save you 50% on that 40% of your costs. And then I get to sell you this at this price. Does that sound like a fair agreement? That is what we're doing with climate change. We're trying to solve the, the very small percentage we're trying to save 15% on 15% of our of our costs when in reality the rest of our costs, if we were to focus investment into them, we could help solve the, the problems over here way faster with way less money than what we're trying to do with climate change. Essentially, what you're saying is like our actions are misguided towards how we want to solve climate change. But what we're not saying is we're not denying that climate change is real. And we're not denying that it's a problem. We're not denying that it's something that deserves attention. And that, that's so important because as soon as you start raising these questions, that's immediately what 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 will come down upon you is, oh, you, you're, 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 you're a climate denier. You don't believe in climate change. No, no, no. Further from the truth. The response that we're making, the people that we're trusting in have have failed us and, and we need to redirect our course. The way that they end it after kind of going through and making a bunch of points here is they say our advice to the European leaders is that science should strive for a significantly better understanding of the climate system, while politics should focus on minimizing potential climate damage by prioritizing adaption strategies based on proven and affordable technologies. I think that's really well put. I think like this is obviously aimed uh, towards European policy, but I, I think that there's a lot to be taken out of this for us as well. Yeah, you bet, man. And, and what what better uh, scheme to get rich off of if you want to put on your cynical uh, tinfoil hat? What better scheme to get rich off of as a politician than a global crisis? Because mm-hmm. this doesn't affect us. This affects everybody. We need everyone on board. We need to spend all these millions of dollars. What are we spending and what are they doing? If we listen to people who are running a, a cost-benefit analysis of the things that we're doing versus the things that we could be doing, then maybe we could hold our, our politicians, our policymakers, the people who are spending our money to account and say, hey, we know that we can do this, this, and this to help solve a ton of other issues, but yet we're putting so much money into making sure that uh, so California, California Air Resources Board just last week signed a policy into law that will ban the uh, sale of new new cars in 2035 that are of uh, a combustion engine. So no combustion engine vehicles after 2035 in California. And you have to, you have to ask the question, why? Why are we doing that? To what degree of us doing that does it make a difference in the goal that we're trying to reach, which inevitably will be a better planet for your children and their children after them. And what we can't do, what we absolutely can't do is demonize oil. That is, that is mm-hmm. priority number one, because we can, our, our country is, is strong and rich enough to make a, a wholesale switch over to, to renewable energy. Brazil can't do that. India cannot do that. China, to some respect, well, China, actually, China's already done it. Uh, but these poor countries, they, they can't do that. They are too reliant on cheap energy. So unless you're going to make electricity as cheap as possible, way cheaper than than uh, fossil fuels, then to bring these people up to, to a standard of living that's acceptable and then get them to switch over, you need to continue to make fossil fuels cheap. And because of our focus on carbon emissions, 
we we are demonizing uh, oil and we are making it more expensive for these developing countries to then pull themselves up out of poverty and make a better lives for themselves. And I think that's really what gets lost in translation here is that there are people in, in poor countries that we're not focused on because we're so worried about sniffing oil farts up here in Sacramento that we can't uh, lend our attention to, to, to these poor countries that absolutely need cheap energy to get to where they need to be. All right. So one more thing before we get out of here, though, I saw coming out of your state, actually, I, th- I was waiting for you to bring this up because I was like, fuck yeah, I'm prepared about it. But you didn't. So I'm still prepared about it. So fuck Indeed. you. <laughs> it looks like California lawmakers uh, today approved a big-ass fast food workers bill. Did you hear about this? I have not a clue. Dude, so this is a bill that even Gavin Newsom is against. That usually sounds like a bill that I want to pass. The Senate, your guys' the Senate approved this 21 to 12, and then the Assembly sent it over with a 41 to 16 final vote to Newsom. Okay. So basically what this does, why a lot of people are against it, is it basically unionizes all fast food workers in California by laying like really union like guidelines for how everything's like with their benefits, wages, like how they're going to be treated. All the shit that you would argue for in a union kind of contract sure. negotiation, it, it grants all of them, right? Like as soon as I guess this would go into law, all those all of those rights across the board. The only thing that they did is they added in a cap so that you can't be paid more than 22 an hour okay. going through to the next year. They're touting it as a huge step forward, the biggest labor contract or law passed in years and years and years. And it's surprising to me to see a lot. There's a lot of Democrats that kind of oppose this because of like all what they're saying will be huge increased costs. You know, they're already there with inflation, but now all these people are going to have to pay people way more, give them way better health care. Do all like change all their policies, and it and it's not even Starbucks wants to unionize. So Starbucks and the union, you know, those workers sit down and negotiate a contract based on them. This is like across the board. So it's it's like a lot of people are worried that it's not necessarily going to cover everyone, but it's just really broad strokes in an effort to just like fuck you to corporations in a way. Yeah, sounds like California to me. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it was it's really interesting to me because I was part of a union and then you know I was about it and I was I was a steward and all this other stuff, but to me it just doesn't seem to make sense. Uh they they talk about Jesse Lara whose family owns 34 El Pollo Locos out where, out in your way in LA and San Diego and uh they think it's actually going to do more harm to the company than good for over a thousand employees that they have stating it unfairly assumes that we rip off our employees in order to make a profit yep. Uh, yep. when most of us are like struggling just to get by with inflation. It's killing them. Uh, and he says that the higher wages and benefits would force restaurant owners to raise their prices and cut workers hours to make it happen. And it's like, what does that do? First of all, have you ever been to an El Pollo Loco? No, I've always wanted to go though. I've seen there, it. Dude. Okay. Quick aside, <laughs> real quick. I was in a air gas, like account manager training and they brought a bunch of people from around the country into Long Beach. And one day they had El Pollo Loco catered. El Pollo Loco is just like, I don't know. It's like Mexican chicken, right? Like open flame grilled chicken, mm. rice and beans, whatever. It's super like generic, like lightweight Taco Bell status. It's good. I don't mind it, but it's just whatever. And these people from out of state just fucking <laughs> loved it. So much so that like the next week on the same day they had El Pollo Loco and it was the talk of the training. Nobody could talk about That's anything funny. else that El Pollo Loco was going to be there for lunch. Yeah, dude. Imagine people being like, oh my God, Dirty Pack. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways. <laughs> yeah. It's, what's unfortunate is that it's not going to be until people are harmed until we realize that these policies although probably had the be- best intentions, 
are, are completely asinine and, and stupid and crazy. You're, you're forcing a bunch of these corporations to bend the knee to whatever California's will wants to be. And you're not thinking about how these companies are going to have to stay afloat. And what are going to be the uh, unintended consequences of your actions doing this to these companies? And unfortunately, most of the time that looks like, like you said, layoffs, innovation to cut uh, employment altogether. Go to a McDonald's recently, you order from a fucking kiosk specifically. So it's at least in California. I don't know if that exists everywhere else, but I I went into a a McDonald's to get ice cream the other day and I could not order at the counter. I had to order at a kiosk. Yep. That's grocery stores too, bro. It's all self-checkout these days, man. It's annoying as fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, do it and then see what happens. Like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, like, you don't need an MBA to realize these things. This is just basic business acumen. You don't, you don't do these things without expecting consequences of it. Yeah. And, and what I don't also don't like about this is that it, this, this article in the AP is saying that there's over half a million fast food workers in your state. And the way that they're going to do all of this, th- those, those half a million lives, their livelihoods, everything are in the hands of a 10 member fast food council with equal numbers of uh, workers, delegates, employers, representatives, and two state officials. So you have four, four people that actually represent like the half a million workers, four people from the restaurants that are like, fuck all you guys, we don't want to work with you and two state delegates. How do you, how do you actually like take care of all these people it's such a broad stroke like there's nothing that it's gonna do to really represent these people if anything it should be voted on if you really give a fuck about what all these people think and and their working conditions and their money like it should be there should be something some kind of democracy thing set up in place to like make sure that everyone's needs are being met not just what these four people think and it's not even like a burger king a wendy's a mcdonald's it's like you can't even cover all the restaurants. You can't even set a delegate from each restaurant. Nope. You know, we're through the looking glass, man. There's, um, there's, there's no more doubt about it. This is just uh, mm-hmm. pure power grab from people who think that they're doing the right thing and that they have an obligation um, in their in their elected official seat to to uh, bypass the the normal way of proceeding forward with policy in this in this uh, country and and taking it upon themselves i mean and, and that's like yeah. excuse me but that's you know very uh, very socialist way of thinking well, apparently this is how they do it in europe instead of you know starbucks having their own union for their workers it's it's broad strokes fast food kind of the same thing so this is the first time it's happened here in the states but it does look like it's moving forward it's the one time that I got to say I, that I've heard something from Gavin Newsom's like administration, I believe, with him and his Department of Finance openly opposed the bill back in June, setting its potential costs and uh, what they said could be a fragmented regulatory and legal environment because there's no precedent for this. He, they also said it's not clear that this bill will accomplish its goal oh, as wow. it attempts to address delayed enforcement by creating stricter standards for certain sectors which could exacerbate existing delays. That's how you know he's running for president because he's make, <laughs> he's he's making reasonable calls on policy issues. Nah. Any other time, any other time he would have been full steam ahead. If he was running for governor again, he would have been full steam ahead on that. Yes, yeah. love it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he 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 has to cater a little bit towards the center now. Yeah, he's running for president for sure. That's all that tells mm-hmm. me. So if if you start seeing this in, you know, states across the country, don't don't be surprised because I mean, from a worker standpoint, they're definitely going to make more money and and get better healthcare. Like that all sounds great, man. But like yeah. once they have you in their teeth and you're paying those dues, let's see what happens then, man. Cause yeah. I, I it don't, the grass is not always greener is all I will say. True that, sir. All right. Send us home. 
All right. Uh, you guys all know this by now. Our sponsor is Gun Barrel Coffee. They make drinking a good smooth cup of coffee that much better by donating $1 from every single item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our country. The way they do this is that they offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean ground or single serve pods. And right now, as a friend of this ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 when you check out. That is promo code FNH10. It'll save you 10% at checkout when you buy the products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. That is promo code F. N-H-10. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Twitter, Friendship NH. Instagram, TikTok, Friendship News Hour. Email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. See you later.